0: Today we are doing another Ask the Coaches podcast. So this is one that we've brought on a couple of times now where we ask the audience on Instagram or we collect questions through email and then we do a podcast where we talk about your guys' questions and we answer it in this sort of... Q&A format where you can listen to the answer. Um, We do a lot of posts on our social media where we address similar topics to this. So if you're someone who likes to go and read, we definitely have a lot of posts on social media that you can scroll through. But this is a great opportunity to just have a discussion on some of these questions. So I will go over the questions first so that you know what's coming ahead. And then we will go ahead and dive in and answer and start discussing some of these questions. So the first question is all about this summer, right? So it's in the middle of summer. A lot of people are training for big races this fall. We finally have races that are coming back. And so a lot of people are in these training cycles. Um, And it's been a while since we had goal races. And so it can be hard to... Be doing these super long runs or these workouts when it's really hot outside so this person wants to know how do you make adjustments in the heat in regards to your paces so if you have a workout like four by one mile at seven minute pace how do you make an adjustment if it's 78 degrees and 90 percent humidity when you start that run at 5 a.m um, we also as the second part of this question are going to talk about is it better to run on the treadmill so some of our athletes live in texas or in southern florida and so those sort of temperatures where it's in the 90s um, even at five in the morning we're going to discuss when it would maybe make sense to hop on the treadmill um, and kind of what the implications of that might look like The second question is, how are you able to tell what kind of shape you are in before you head into race day? So as races are starting soon, so maybe in the next month or two or three, there's a race that you have on the horizon. So maybe you've been training for it for a while and you're starting to get excited and you're starting to visualize yourself at these races. And a lot of the things that you're going through in your mind is, what sort of time am I going to be hoping to run? Maybe people have been asking you and you genuinely want to know, how do I figure out what a good time goal is when I'm, you know, maybe a month or two out from this goal race? And maybe just talking about some of the analysis that goes into figuring out what kind of shape you're in. The next question is all about easy running. So we talk a lot about doing these easy runs on our social media page. We talk about it on the podcast all the time. Easy running is usually two to three minutes per mile slower than your 5k race pace, sometimes even slower. Um, And a lot of people have this fear around slowing down. They think it'll be hard um, to get faster or it's just not a natural thing to do for some of these runners. Um, So they're afraid of slowing down and they want some tips as to how they can slow down their runs and really lean into that process. The next question is feeling the pressure to run a marathon to be considered a quote unquote real runner. Um, so this person's talking about like the pressure that they're feeling on Strava and social media and just with their friends to reach that next level and to go into um, marathon training just to kind of get that um, title under their belt. And so we'll talk a little bit about the mental component and things like that. Um, the next question. And the last question is, I keep getting injured or or having flare-ups despite doing 80% of my runs at an easy pace. They want to know what they are doing wrong. So we're going to be talking a little bit about injuries and things that maybe could be causing them for this runner. Uh, So I guess we'll just dive right in. Um, Jason is here with me today as usual doing these questions. He has 12 years of coaching experience and he's been running for Um, over 20 years himself. So definitely a lot of experience um, on his belt. I am a 14-time Boston qualifier. So a lot of my coaching and I specialize in the marathon distance. So a lot of what I will be talking about is is kind of pertaining to that. Jason used to be a college cross-country and track coach. So he is a little bit more specialized in the shorter distance, but of course he coaches marathoners as well. So it's nice to have the different perspectives here as we dive in. So how to make adjustments in the heat and is it better to run on the treadmill? I guess I will have you kick things off with that one, Jason.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I know we talk a lot about um, pace adjustment um, and really just looking at, you know, obviously there's so many factors when we look at the heat. There's the sun, right? There's the temperature, there's the dew point and the humidity. Um, So the answer might vary depending on um, what, you know, what your, faced with on that given day and what your other what your other workouts what your training looks like um if you're a person that basically never really runs on the treadmill i would not advise you to just jump on there for your workout because i feel like there's kind of a um you know sort of your body has to kind of start to um get used to running on the treadmill and so the workout could be just as hard for you as it would have been if you would have did it outside and so I guess we have to kind of look at all the, all those factors and look at what is your training like, how frequently are you running on the treadmill, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think there is a time and place for um, doing that workout on the treadmill. For example, if this is one of your key workouts where you use this as a, and I think this is a question coming up, um, looking at key workouts to kind of gauge where your fitness is at, right? So you have a good idea of what you're capable of on race day. Um, you might want to do this one on the treadmill so that you get consistent results. Um and you can just better monitor, uh, where your fitness is at. Um, when you're going to go outside, if it's hot, humid, sticky, you know, you're going to need to definitely modify paces anywhere from, you know, five to 10 seconds, all the way up to 30 seconds a mile, if not more. So it just kind of depends on how acclimated you are, um, and your experience running in the heat.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, your, your point to sometimes hopping on the treadmill for the first time, it can actually be hard, right? So it's Mm -hmm. all about what you're used to. And I do think that in the distance running community, there can sometimes be a stigma of running on the treadmill or doing workouts on the treadmill. And some people think it's, you know, not the same, but in my experience, I feel like it is very similar. The part that starts to, Um, Be a little hard to decipher is that mental training piece so I think that if you're someone who is using the treadmill because you don't want to go outside and like 70 or 80 degrees or because uh, you know, you know, you can hit your paces on the treadmill, that sort of thing. When you start using it as like a mental clutch, I think that's when it can be something that maybe would impact your performance on race day. Um, I've trained for several marathons exclusively on the treadmill because here in Minnesota, um, we have really icy roads in the winter. And so when I first started getting into marathoning, maybe like seven, six years ago, a lot of my, um, long runs and a lot of my workouts would be on the treadmill because that's what I was more comfortable with, um. And I do think maybe it was a little bit easier to train at a higher volume because the treadmill is, um, a little bit easier on your joints. It's kind of like running on, you know, gravel or, you know, a softer surface. It does give way. Um, it does have that like shock absorptions, um, system in it. So just understanding that it, there are some slight differences, but at the end of the day, um, if that's the thing that is the only way you can really get your workout in and feel like it's a quality workout then definitely using it as a tool um, is great. So is there any sort of like pace adjustment calculator or how does someone go off of effort um, versus pacing?
1: Yeah this is a tough one and you know you, you said a lot of good things about the treadmill and that's a nice thing is you can just set the treadmill to the same speed so you can make sure you get each workout or each interval at the same exact pretty you much know. effort or pace. When you're outside, you're you know it's tougher to, to gauge that, especially not knowing how you your body might react to the heat. Um, and so I always would recommend, let's say you're doing four by a mile at threshold, for example, um, you know I I would have the athlete do the first one slower, like at marathon pace, and mm-hmm. sort of ease into the workout that way, so that you can kind of gauge like, okay, what am I going to be able to hit for paces that's going to feel you know like like it normally would feel if I did this workout at pace, you know, in fifty degrees. So. I guess it's just kind of learning what, how your body reacts to the heat and, um, you know, then just making, up, making a sort of a, an adjustment that is going to set you up to be able to sustain that same time throughout the workout. So it might be 20 seconds, might be 30 seconds, but again, erring on the side of being more conservative early on in the first interval.
0: Yes, and I love how you brought up that whole pacing aspect and that the treadmill, you can just set it and go and you don't have to think about it. And so from a physiological standpoint, I do think doing workouts on the treadmill versus the road are very similar. But what you're not getting when you do it on the treadmill is that um, that pacing practice. And I know that sounds like, oh, that's not that big of a deal, but actually it's probably argumentatively the most important part of running. Um, You can be in the best shape possible on marathon race day, but if you're going out too fast, um, it's just not gonna end well and you're not gonna be able to reach your potential in that race regardless of what type of shape you're in. So that pacing practice is one of the most important things. And I think when you're not getting that consistently or you don't trust yourself, so that whole trusting that, all right, so it is hotter, I am gonna have to adjust my paces. And being able to within yourself monitor how you are feeling in a workout and make adjustments on the fly, that is really what makes a good competitor on race day. So if you're really trying to reach that next level, I think challenging yourself with those outdoor experiences where you have to make those adjustments, that's actually really where you're going to see a lot of gains and, and reaching to that next level because a lot of what happens on race day is just how you're responding to the environment that you're in right we're not always in control of what the weather is um we're not always in control of what the people around us are doing so maybe you wanted to run with someone but they're they're pacing just all over the place or you know maybe you're just not confident in your pacing abilities on race day because you just really haven't practiced that on your own and so that's why Really getting outside and asking yourself, even if it is 70 degrees and you have mild repeats, saying, or 80 degrees or whatever, saying to yourself, okay, it says in training peaks or on my training plan that I need to do this at seven minute pace or whatever pace. Saying, you know what, I'm not going to be able to probably hit that today because that's, you know, on an ideal condition day, but I'm going to go off of effort and I'm going to ask myself, how does this pace? feel. If it was 50 degrees, what would I want to be feeling like if I was running seven minute pace or putting yourself kind of in, in the race or in the workout and, and really just asking every mile, is this comfortable? Is this sustainable? And that sort of mental training, you really can't replicate any other way and definitely not on the treadmill in my opinion.
1: Yeah, very well said. I was thinking the same thing as you said it about how, you know, when you show up to a race, if the weather's warm. You know, if you don't have that practice Mm -hmm. from how to assess how hard to push it, um, how to be conservative, all of that, you might make a mistake and go out too hard. Um, And then you may not be confident in yourself to be able to finish strong. And so I think getting, yeah, the only way to really practice it is through experience, getting out there. And one other thing that comes to mind, because I see a lot of athletes who will struggle in certain conditions, and a lot of the times it boils down to, for me, just seeing that they may be warmed up a little they ran too fast on their warm-up or they're trying to run too fast on the recovery portion and so really listening to your body there and making the effort feel super easy so that you're really conserving energy so that you can get more out of like the faster portion of the workout because yeah you know you you shouldn't be warming up super fast you can throw in some acceleration strides things like that to help get you ready but when we look at like the first whole two miles of your warm-up run you know it should not be. Um, super fast and I I oftentimes will see athletes running in the gray zone during during their warm-up on a Mm -hmm. hot day or a humid day and it's like well you know if you would have ran in the middle of your easy pace zone or even like at the slower end of your easy range I think you would have had a better workout you know and especially if you would have done the first one a little more conservatively so yeah this is something that is sort of learned over time through uh you know through trial and error with with Mm -hmm. workouts not every workout is going to go consistent from start to finish you're you're gonna have some where you you know you kind of die off at the end but you you hung on pretty tough for like the first you know 80 percent of the workout and then you'll have some that are hopefully consistent throughout but i think the key is having those progressive workouts where you know you start a little slower and then you finish faster with your last one
0: Yes, definitely. And when you were talking about the warm up being too fast, some of your athletes or sometimes that's something you see, and it causes people to not be able to finish a workout or that sort of thing. I have definitely been guilty of doing that, especially when it is really warm outside. It's like your muscles are so warmed up, and you're ready to go. And like if you know you have 800 meter repeats or you know something like that, your body's just like, okay, I, I'm antsy, I want to get going, and so. I always find something that's useful, at least for me, is when it's really hot like that and I notice I'm going way too fast I'll just like mentally check in and be like, okay We're cutting this warm-up a little bit short because if you go on and you're gonna do like two or three miles at this pace You're not gonna have any energy for that workout So I'll just say if you really can't slow down and give myself like a minute or two to slow down If I really can't do it I'll just um, start the workout because I will I'll tag on miles at the end or something Um, but yeah, I definitely want to Reiterate that yeah, going too fast in the warm up is definitely something I think um, a lot of people can be guilty of. So if that if that sounds like it's you, maybe just you know bumping that cool down and making it a little shorter so that you can start that workout portion. If you're feeling a little antsy or whatever, um, then tag on more miles at the end, something like that. Um, but it's a really interesting conversation when we're talking about these heat adjustment things because you also mentioned the recoveries in between. And I think when you're doing a speed workout, so if you're doing like 30 seconds or 1 minute or 2 minute or even like 800 meters or 1Ks, Mm -hmm. if you're doing work that's faster than your threshold pace, even on a regular weather day, there is that anaerobic um, portion that's being works on those shorter intervals. And so it's going to be hard to breathe. And when you can get that little breathlessness, um, that's when that like urge to walk in between starts to happen. And if you're not fully recovering in between your intervals, especially when you're hitting those anaerobic paces. So if you're doing anything that's like 5k pace or, you know, 10k pace, that sort of thing. Um, or if you're doing that in the heat, especially, you really want to make sure you're giving yourself that full recovery. And so maybe you're someone that always jogs in between intervals, but when it's super killer hot outside, like 99% humidity Mm -hmm. and like 75 degrees, you may find yourself walking in between and that's totally fine. I just did an 800 meter repeat workout a week ago and I found that on like the third rep, I was like, "Whoa, you know, it's this is really different." It there's just not a lot of oxygen in the air, and I I walked in between intervals. And the whole purpose of the recovery in between an interval that's focusing on that anaerobic development and that VO2 max is to really be able to fully recover so that you can get back to that VO2 max anaerobic um, hit on the next interval. But if you're not fully recovered in between, you're just going to end up kind of like running these repeats at threshold and then kind of the workout will deteriorate from there. Um, But yeah, so the recovery is super important, making sure we're keeping those things in line. Do you have anything else to add in regards to like the adjustments and the heat?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, sometimes I'll see athletes uh, indicate they need to walk in between um, for like more of a marathon pace workout. And so for those, I feel like maybe they went a little too fast. But if it's during like intervals, I'm fine with that, especially if the conditions are hot. Um, and, you know, when we when we use the word adjustment, we don't always just have to be talking about pace, right? So um, if you're supposed to do like, I don't know, let's say 10 by 400s, um, sometimes you might get to like 7 or 8 and realize like, hey, I'm feeling really good mm-hmm. and this is maybe where I should the court today because I feel like I could do a few more but if I do tip over that line then I'm gonna kind of be redlining and I'm not gonna recover as quickly so you it sometimes it's smarter to kind of scale back you know maybe do 80% of the work that you were intending to do if the conditions are brutal because your body then will recover faster and and with in return you will get the adaptation faster and you can move on with your training and so sometimes if we always try to do what's prescribed on paper um, we dip into that red line zone, and it can be tough to recover.
0: Definitely smart. So cutting workouts short um, and keeping it like super quality is great. It's better, in my opinion, to cut it short, keep the quality there, than to add in an extra two reps and not hit your pace, end up running like marathon pace for the last one. Definitely um, good advice there. So making those adjustments super key, and also remembering that it is harder to run in the heat. So. You know, if you have to make major pace adjustments or if you have to cut down or that sort of thing, it's pretty normal and really common with athletes. And just knowing that there are those heat acclimation benefits that you're getting. And then when the temperatures do cool, it's going to be like you're flying and you're able to do a lot more than you currently are. So always making those adjustments and giving yourself grace. Um, But the next piece kind of leading into that is we're doing all these workouts in the summer, right? So we're doing workouts, we're doing speed workouts, intervals, all this stuff at pace. And we're trying to figure out and project into the future. Oh, I have this race in October or November where the temperatures are hopefully going to be cooler. I'm doing all these workouts in like 80 degrees. What sort of shape am I in, right? So you have all these paces you've been hitting and you're trying to figure out you know the formula like of I've been hitting this many miles a week I've been you know doing this pace for workouts what does that mean that I can run on race day so do you have any starting points of where an athlete should kind of look to figure out like what type of shape they're in
1: yeah I mean this is this is such a fun question to dissect because you could look at it from so many different angles you know each athlete's on their own journey doing their own like race distance um, looking back at their pr- previous experience um, it's nice when you have that in training peaks to be able to look back at, um, but for newer athletes who we haven't really seen race yet, sometimes that can be a challenge. And so, um, just looking at, you know, a, a few of those key workouts, like how did those workouts go? I'm always looking at, uh, tendencies. Are they more like even pace? Are they progressing or are they positive splits? That sort of thing. And then, um, you know, just setting them up with like a pacing plan, because I think it's best to always feel better, you know, halfway through three quarters of the way through than to go out too hard and feel like crap. And so I think just giving yourself a little being a little conservative, I guess, when you set your goals. Um you know, it's always best to end up doing better than you thought you mm-hmm. could, I think. Um so just and then, you know, sometimes when you're out there, it becomes uh more mentally like easier to stay engaged if you do start more conservative because then you give yourself the confidence like, "No, I actually feel pretty strong here. I think I can really finish strong." But if you do the opposite of that you go out too hard you kind of lose maybe motivation lose focus it's too hard i'm going to shut it down you know yeah
0: definitely important to talk about just setting those goals and like what are your intentions behind setting them i do think it's really important to have like really big dreams and goals and you know maybe you're at a place where you're in like five hour marathon shape or you just ran like a five something marathon um, and your long-term goals like to qualify for Boston. So it's really fun to like have that as like your North Star of like where you want to end up um, I think we all kind of have those really big goals and things that we have as like our North Star like we're trying to get to um, But in the here and now like where you're currently at it's really important I think to set those attainable goals because you don't want your current goals to be so out of reach that You feel completely defeated when you don't even come close or you don't want to go into the race thinking Okay This is like my highest potential and that's my goal because sometimes it's like you need to have different levels of goals Right, so maybe you have like the ultimate goal of like oh my gosh, uh, you know Maybe I'm gonna break four hours at this marathon, but you also want to have like B, C and D goals just in case it's a little hot or you don't feel 100% or as you get closer to the race you realize like it's too much pressure. There are so many factors that go into what your goal time can be on race day. Um, And it's really hard to speak on a general uh, forum like this because it is so individual to the person and you really wanna look at like their racing history, right? So a lot of people are coming back from not really doing races And so as someone who is in that boat as well, um, I just did a marathon about a month ago or a month and a half ago now. And coming back from like pregnancy and coming back from not racing in two years and all of those things, my first marathon in two years, there's just a lot of additional factors that going into the race um, maybe wouldn't have been relevant um, at my last marathon. right? So I really had to take those things into account from a mental perspective and Not put as much pressure on a specific time goal and think more in terms of okay What am I gonna be comfortable doing on race day? What's gonna make me feel really good? Um, what do what am I hoping to accomplish here? So sometimes for people that is the only thing that they want to accomplish is a s- Specific time goal and that's great. But I also think it's important to have other goals, right? So for example some of the goals going into my last marathon were, I want to feel really good the last 10k I want to pay Pace well I don't want to end up blowing up or running you know 20 seconds per mile slower the last couple of miles it was really important to me that I felt good at the end and I didn't want to be too aggressive in my time goal because I have a history of not um, pacing super great in marathons I've done maybe you know two or three negative splits but I wanted to be able to run a, like a fast time and run negative splits and that's something that I hadn't done um, in a while so there are so many different ways that you can establish these goals and set them for yourself um, and I think it's really important to work more towards that than setting these random time goals because I, I think a lot of people like to focus on like round numbers right so it's like sub three 315 sub 330 like right. sub four and it's like where where do these goals really come from because if you look at them it's pretty random right like a sub three is like 652 per mile. Um, right. 315 is like 725 per mile. It, it's so random and I just think that sometimes it's it's our brain wanting to have these round numbers, but at the same time if you're just, let's say you're in 303 shape and you go out on pace or on a 259, well you're probably going to end up closer to like a 307, 310 finish because you're going too fast and You're not going to be able to run to your potential when you go out too fast so what do you have to say to like those people that are dead set on like those round numbers even though maybe they're not quite in shape to do that
1: yeah you know this is this is a tough one because i've been guilty in the past too of like Mm -hmm. running 5k's where i just you want that nice pretty number right like even if i'm not in that great shape yet i want to break 17. um but there are times where i'm in okay shape and I should have set the goal at like 1645 that would have been more realistic or I wasn't quite in shape yet and 1720 would have been really a good goal but because I wanted to stretch it all the way down to 17 you know it it became a lot more difficult so I think just being being honest with yourself and looking at the big picture looking at you know using your experiences to help gauge um, but you mentioned earlier kind of like non-time-based goals to focus on and I think if you're able to do that and execute well on those I think that's what builds um, more confidence and, and helps you understand yourself as a runner better. Mm-hmm. So then you have a better idea then eventually through, through your experiences of achieving those non-time-based goals. You have a better idea of where you're, you know, what you're capable of based on your current fitness for a time-based goal. And so I think over time, you know, I've obviously gotten to know my, my body and how I react to certain distances very well. And I think that if you can become the best person to, um, you know, assess yourself Better than anyone else that's that you're well on your way then to being able to set goals that are appropriate for yourself
0: yeah i think it's really important to have non-time-based goals and just like a random example um there was a 10k that i did in 2018 and My goal was I wanted to break 40 like I, I had to do it and that was my pretty much my only goal going in the race I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna break 40 like I just knew I was gonna do it. I definitely didn't do it I ran like 40 50. Um, it was very painful the second half So I went out on pace to do it and the second half was really humbling um, Then the next year I lined up at the race did the same thing and I said I don't have a goal to break 40 I do not want to break 40 because it's like I, I had had that goal before and it just didn't work for me so I was like I just want to not blow up that that was pretty much my only goal I was like I just want to pace this smart where I don't feel like I did the year before and so I went out and I ended up running 39.59 which is so strange because it's like that was not my goal I did it at, and I was actually shocked at the finish and I was like oh my gosh this is the still say that and, and when i saw it i was like is this really gonna happen and, and I, it just so happened that oh i did i did break 40 right so when you kind of set your goal on something else that actually makes you run better and be able to run to your potential you might actually end up you know hitting the goal that you really want to hit uh, but when you're so focused on the specific goal i think sometimes we forget to listen to our body um, we forget like really how to run. We're, we're just like, okay, I have to hit this goal and I'm gonna do it no matter what it takes. But really, if we focus on what it actually takes to be able to hit our potential, that's a better focus. And really, if you look at my splits from both of those races, uh, it was like, it, it, you can't really even tell that big of a difference. You would think that they were the same outcome. Um, like the first mile of the race I didn't do well in was maybe like 10 seconds, five seconds per mile. Um, faster than the race where I did run sub 40. Mm. So it's really like 10 to f- seconds per mile doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're stretching it and when you're right. really trying to hit your potential, you cannot go out 5, 10 seconds per mile faster than your than your goal pace, um, and expect that you know things are just going to come together. What ends up happening is that you will blow up and you're going to run even worse than you would have if you started conservative. Um, so it's just it's a Lesson, I guess, in starting conservative and being able to have that trust within your body. And that kind of goes back to the first question that we had where it was all about learning Mm -hmm. how to pace yourself. Because if we are always so hyper-focused on, I really need to hit this specific time, specific time, it's like that's not always the best way to actually hit your time goal. The best way to really reach your potential in a distance is to ask yourself, is this sustainable? How do I want to feel at mile four, at mile five? And really asking yourself yourself. Um, how you feel throughout each workout throughout each race that you're doing
1: yeah i love that example you gave of that 10k just because it it allows us to see like how much 10 second difference really is especially in a short race like a 5k or 10k i mean starting 10 seconds slower you're able to conserve so Mm -hmm. much more uh, even if you're like as fit as you were the previous year you know for example um, and you were probably a little more fit. So think about slowing down 10 seconds. Like that's you're conserving that much more energy that you can use later in the race. It's probably almost equivalent to slowing down at least like 20, 25 seconds uh, for a marathon, you know, per mile. So yep. it's it's a big chunk, and it allows yep. you to really focus on that effort and how you're feeling, and focus less on the pace, and then like trying to force it when it's just not quite there. And yep. so that's why I love these non-time based goals, and I think the better that you can be at executing them you know the the better that and it can take a few attempts to do it right right it can take multiple race opportunities multiple workouts um, and eventually as this becomes kind of a normal thing for you that's when you start to really produce the race results that you want
0: definitely I think that's a really good point to add and and I do remember in that race where I did break 40 I looked down at my watch at the beginning I was solely running based on effort and you know you'd glance down to see what what is this effort And I remember looking at the pace and thinking oh this is pretty slow like there's absolutely no way you're gonna break 40 because you know you have that negative voice even though you're not focused on it i had that negative voice in my head and i was like yeah you're probably actually gonna even run slower than you did the previous year those were thoughts that i had the first couple of miles of the race Um, and i accepted that and i said that's fine i'm just i'm gonna feel good at the end i knew that that was my only goal and what ended up happening was something even better. Right. So I think it's normal to have those thoughts. And when you go into races with this new mindset, you might end up having, um, a lot of those negative and, and like doubtful thoughts. And so I think that's something to really just be open and honest with yourself about is it's normal to have, um, doubtful thoughts. If, if you're starting to shift focus and you're starting to put more trust into your body versus your Garmin, um, but the results and over time with practice, you're actually going to be able to reach a higher potential. I think when you train this way and you race that way specifically, um, cause a lot of these races, there's uncontrollable factors. I mean, you look at Boston 2018, it was torrential downpour, 40 degrees. And I remember thinking, okay, well, how am I gonna, you know, arrange for this? Like I didn't train for, you know, 40 degree downpour hurricane, And I remember seeing people on social media, they said, oh, it's not gonna change my goal, I'm still gonna go after whatever. And it's like, maybe that worked for some people, but I think for a lot of people, it's a really humbling experience. And I think when you're able to look within yourself and adjust on the fly, no matter what race day conditions are, you're gonna be better set up for success and you're also gonna grow as a runner um, in confidence and you're gonna have more confidence in your abilities and that's always a benefit too. So moving on to the next question um, about slowing down on easy days so this person they see our posts all the time they love the concept of easy running Um, they really want to lean into that because they've kind of been at a plateau for a while and they feel like they're running in the gray zone which would be you know maybe 30 seconds uh, slower than marathon pace or they're just not slowing down quite enough and they really want to lean into this idea of down on their easy days and they wanted to know some tips for doing that. Um, so Jason, I guess I will let you kind of kick things off with this one.
1: Yeah, I mean there's there's several and you know everything we've been talking about so far, if you can kind of apply that to your easy days, I think that will allow you to focus less on the pace and just run more off of effort and you know it's okay if some days, you know, your easy runs are, you know, 40 seconds per mile faster than they were the previous day. It's all about kind of uh, when those easy runs occur, like the day after a workout for me, those easy runs are always going to be slower. Those are true recovery runs. Um, sometimes the day before a workout too, I'll go extra slow just because I want to conserve as much energy as possible and feel fresh the next day. And so, um, just make sure you're really trying to polarize your training, having your hard days hard, um, making sure that you are starting your longer easy runs, making sure you're starting those extra slow so that you can kind of finish them um, maybe I'm like the faster end of your easy range. So that's a, one way that I kind of, um, you know, learned over time would be to, especially once like Garmin came out and all that, and you could kind of track your pace. You know, I would just make sure that my first mile or two were, were always on the slower end of my easy range. Um, and then I would just try to slowly increase the effort without even really, um, trying because it kind of happens naturally, right? As you become warmed up, it's a lot easier to just start to run a little faster. Um, But so try to run, you know, even split or negative split runs, even for easy runs. I think that can help a lot. Um, You know, don't listen to music, listen to like boring podcasts or something like that. Or you can seek out a friend that runs slower than you. And that can be a good opportunity to just slow down and have conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely some really good tips there. And I think as someone who used to struggle with this, you know, in 2012, 2013, I look back and... At that time, I was like a 410 marathoner, um, so my marathon pace was about, you know, I don't know, like 930, and I did a lot of my quote-unquote easy runs in like the 830 to 850 pace range. That was what I would classify as easy back then, um, and that's, you know, obviously anyone who watches our social media or knows about running, it's, it's not easy, so When I think of what helped me to grasp the concept of actually slowing down on easy days and then going hard on my hard days was the fact that when I was doing a lot of my easy runs in like that 830, 845 range when I was maybe like a 22-minute 5K runner, um, that sort of thing, it was that I needed to introduce workouts so I thought that I was doing workouts I thought that I was having hard runs like I would you know do them but they weren't super structured and they were kind of like when I felt like it or I would do it on the fly that sort of thing um I would loosely follow training plans and I would just kind of go off of effort sometimes if I did purchase a training plan I'd look at the workouts and I would say Okay, I'm gonna modify these because they look too hard or it seemed too aggressive, but the real problem was actually that I wasn't going slow enough on my easy days to be able to do workouts um, that would have actually challenged me to reach that next level. So now, as someone who just ran like a 318 marathon, my easy runs, just for example, I went on an easy run today, I ran 945 pace. So my easy runs are a minute per mile slower than what they were as like a 410 marathoner. So I'm almost an hour faster in the marathon than I was back then, but my easy runs are a minute per mile slower. And that's because it's like when I'm doing these quality workouts, like yesterday I had a four by one and a half mile workout at 625 pace I did. Um, those workouts are very hard and they kind of take a lot out of you. And if you're not doing hard workouts like that it can be really tempting to go fast on your easy days because you're like well my legs aren't sore I don't have anything coming up that's really strenuous so why why would you not right so that's one of the factors that I really like to look at are are we doing hard enough days are we actually stressing you are you really having two days per week where we're actually making you pretty sore making you really stretch your limits Um, And if not, we need to add that in right away because you're never going to grasp the concept of truly easy running until you have like that polarization where you have those truly hard days. Um, The next factor is something that's also very common is making sure you're running enough mileage, right? So if your legs are always fresh, if you're always feeling good, if you just feel like there's no way that you can slow down, I would say maybe it's time to, you know, think about increasing the mileage. Um, that's something that can help your legs carry a little bit more fatigue. And honestly, it's gonna help your aerobic development. So you need to have that aerobic development um, to be a fast runner in the long distance events. 99% of the marathon is aerobic. So time on your feet, the more miles you can run, especially if you're not feeling sore and you're, you're not feeling challenged in your weekly regimen schedule, I think it's, it's good to think about doing an increase. So you don't wanna do more than like 10% per week but if you get to a place where just your, your weekly easy run feels like, okay, I, I don't want to go fast because I know this is going to add up at the end of the week and I'm not going to be able to hit my paces that sort of thing. It's really important to make sure you have a very good foundation so that you are able to go easy on your easy runs. Um, some other things that have helped me are not to listen to music when I'm doing easy runs. Um, a lot of the music can jack you up it gets you excited it makes you get lost in the run and then next thing you know you're going too fast Um, and then limiting your caffeine uh, running with people who are physically slower than you so sometimes there are people that I run with um, my mom or some of my friends are like pregnant and I'll go running with them right so just going with people who physically are not able to run as fast as you are on an easy day um, will help you be able to slow down. Um, sometimes opting for like no watch and running like in trails and just going off conversation pace, that sort of thing um, can, can also help. Do you have any tips in terms of slowing down that I missed?
1: Uh, you know, there's times where, you know, sometimes, you know, if my legs get sore or whatever and they feel heavy, I'm, obviously it's so much easier to run slow, right? So you could think about maybe doing your lifting before a run to slow you mm. down. And that could be a good way to... Um, you know get you to start out really slow and you know there's even times I'll bike and then I'll run after that and sometimes um, sometimes that'll slow me down so yeah I think that the key here is you know if you're someone that says it's too hard for me to slow down I just can't do it Mm -hmm. like we need to stop making excuses for it and we just need to commit to trying one one or two new things and start introducing it to our training because the sooner that you are able to make these changes um, and learn your body will start to adapt and so there is a learning curve for sure Um, I have athletes all the time that'll they'll start with me and then you know months down the road when they make these changes they're not only happier but they're just like more controlled I feel like with their running and so I think it just gives them more of a sense of, of, of joy and just contentment with their own running and so you know i i hate to sound harsh here but we don't want to use we don't want to use that as an excuse like i just felt too good you know what i mean like i hear that too often and it's like well then we need to do some of these things that victoria mentioned we either need to increase your mileage or make your workouts harder um, something along those lines to figure out what can we do to help polarize your training?
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. Sometimes that tough love is just needed and, you know, we say a lot of those things to ourselves. Like, oh, I physically couldn't slow down or, you know, I just felt too good, that sort of thing. And it's like, well, is it that you just aren't buying into it or you really mm-hmm. have to ask yourself like... Because that's, it's just like not true, right? So it's like that, that self-control. Um, Back when I was in three I ran a 314 marathon at grandma's in in 2015 three weeks before the race um, My mom asked me to pace her in her first half marathon Um, She ran a 247 half marathon. So I think we were running about like 1250 pace or something like that. Um, So here I was in 314 marathon shape So like 720 per mile and I was going 1250 per mile for a half marathon three weeks out from my marathon Um, so you know how would my mom have felt if I would have said, this feels too easy, I can't do it, you know, and just like deuced out on her. But the reality is like when you are holding yourself accountable to like the goal that you're doing, so it's like, okay, I'm here to pace my mom. Like you have to like walk yourself through it almost like you're pacing someone, right? You're pacing yourself on these easy runs. So you say to yourself, okay I know why I'm doing this I need to slow down that sort of thing just pretending maybe that there's someone running with you or that you know you really have to hold yourself to that accountability standard and yeah sometimes people will say I I physically can't um, run that slow or like my knees hurt or just something along those lines and I think it is important to remember that you know when you are slowing down like that you know I went five and a half minutes per mile slower than my marathon pace for a half marathon uh, it it did feel weird but it was still running and it was it was still you know I, I don't like it when people say oh it's basically walking because it's like I can actually run at like 15 minute per mile and mm-hmm. that's someone who can run like a 530 mile so I just find it oh that one time like the slow mile challenge during quarantine oh, yeah. I ran like a 25 minute mile or like a 20 minute mile or something so I think it's just all about getting used to like adjusting your stride. So talk a little bit about how your stride feels on these easy runs and like how you feel after you're done.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can feel a bit awkward. You know, you're you're trying to figure out like, what can I do to slow down? So sometimes it feels like you're running less on your midfoot or you're just like shortening your stride maybe. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things like it feels awkward for a while until you your body becomes a little bit more accustomed to it but i think the the more you can vary your pace from like easy days to workout days i think you just become more efficient as a runner and yeah. stronger and that's better for your gait i think it's better for staying healthy too if you're always running you know the bulkier miles within like the same one minute yep. um, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing and um, one you know one other thing we talked about in the past, I know before is, uh, social media, especially Strava people wanting to run, you know, their, get their average pace under a certain, you know, threshold or whatever it is, like nine minutes, eight minutes, whatever, just so that it looks good for, for the likes. And I think that, you know, it's become quite trendy now for some athletes (laughs) to actually slow down and have like a three to four minute gap between like their 5k to their easy pace. And so I think that, you just got to figure out what what can I do to embrace this, and it's going to pay off. It might take some time, but it's really going to help you, you know, get the most out of your your races.
0: Yeah, honestly, sometimes it's like how slow can you go? You know, it's almost like a game. Like how slow can I go because I want right. to feel really good for my workout, or maybe because I want to surprise people with my workout, right? So when they see all my easy runs during the week <laughs> at like 10 minute pace, and then they see me bust out like some workout where I'm hitting paces like 6:20 or sub 6 for, you know, faster intervals. People it kind of surprises them or they start to get curious about it, right? So maybe you could be that person that starts to inspire someone else like oh I can slow down and giving people permission to to do that because I've been on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like I wanted all of my paces to read under eight minute pace once upon a time when I used to post all my runs to social media um that's kind of how I grew the run for PR's account like back in 2015 2016 that's actually like how it originated is I would post like every single run and over time I was like you know I could have all my runs be under like eight minute pace and this is something I did like subconsciously I didn't even know I was doing it but I was like you know, like that pace feels easy and it looks cool. Like I, you know, it looks cool, right? Like it looks, it looks better. Sometimes people like the way those certain numbers look and whatever you get like fixated on it. And it's not too much of a hassle to go a little bit faster. And the next thing you know, like all of your runs are like too fast and you're not doing workouts. And it's like this domino effect of what it has on your running. And so over time, it actually made me slower, um, and you know it's ironic because it's like I was doing all of my easy runs. All my runs were faster than they had ever been, but on race day, it's like I just didn't have that extra gear like I used to, and I kind of like felt flat and like I'd make excuses for it, like oh the weather or like oh I wasn't tapered, and it's like no, I knew what was happening. In reality, it's like I wasn't training correctly, um, and it took me a little while to come to terms with that and and really start to slow down on my easy days, and it can be quite the process. So. I would say just to, to lean into that and really focus more of your attention I think on those workout days can help you help your mind kind of be distracted by it um, and have something positive to focus on because I, I would always like to have that affirmation that I, I was faster that I was getting faster and so I'd allow myself to have that now on my workout days and not not worry about it too much on the the easy runs at all because mm-hmm. the point of the easy run is to recover it's not to get any sort of feedback on what type of shape you're in, right? It, it's exactly. definitely not for that. And I used to use that. And I, I do think a lot of people still try oh, to yeah. use that because I will yeah. get questions in the Run for PR's inbox 24-7. They're like, I want to get my easy pace down to eight-minute pace. And I'm like, oh, okay, Um, is that really what you want or do you do you just want to be faster on race day, right? Like I want to get to a place where I have understanding of what people, what their goals are. Because sometimes I do think people will look on Strava or social media and they'll be like, well, I really want to be able to call you know, eight miles for eight minute pace, easy or whatever. And it's like, uh, it just, you're the definition of like what that would mean. I mean, even for you, it's like you, you sometimes run eight minute pace for eight miles and you're like a five, 15, you know, 35 K person. So I just find it, it, it's just an interesting, um, it's an interesting phenomenon, but I do think when, when we stop trying to measure our fitness on our easy days, that's when really big breakthroughs start to happen. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, so diving into this last question, um, kind of talking more about you know easy running and, and injuries, right? So this person is following what we are saying in terms of eighty percent of your weekly mileage should be easy. So you're running uh, what forty miles a week, and what is that? Thirty of them are all easy. He's only doing like ten miles a week of the forty at a fast pace, but this person keeps getting injured and they keep having flare-ups. They just want to know what they're doing wrong because they seem to be following the rule, right? They're they're doing a lot of their mileage at this easy pace, but yet they are still having flare-ups. So, one thing to know is that injuries are super common for runners. And you know, it's not really often talked about, but every single day in the Run for Bears inbox, I'm getting e- emails, questions all the time not from people who are working with us, but just like People, they're they're desperate. They're sad. They they want to know why am I getting injured? What is my injury? What can I do? And it's like I always have the same feedback for them. I'm like, go go see a PT, go see a ART person. Like I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose you, and I really can't like help you. But someone in person trained in this can. Um, but you know that is also important to notice that you could be doing a lot of things right. You could um, just have gotten an injury for a number of different reasons. So I think going over maybe. What some of those common causes are um, may help people feel a little bit better if they're someone who is being bit with the injury bug. Because one of the things that you wanna do if you get injured is figure out why, right? And then try to figure out a plan to never get injured again or to not have that injury flare up again. So Jason, I know you're someone who has struggled with injuries in the past. Are there any words of wisdom that you can share with people or any success stories that you have?
1: Yeah, you know, you said, you said a great lot of people get injured for various reasons uh, due to training errors so Mm -hmm. we'll cover some of those um but you know if you are dealing with any sort of injury yeah getting that professional advice to how to strengthen the area to get it worked out um to prevent it from happening again that's kind of the first step that you need to take and then we can start to look at kind of getting you back to running and you know i've been someone that's this has happened to me before where i feel like wow i only did like a tiny little workout like why Mm -hmm. am i injured um and part of that is just like the workouts maybe weren't progressive enough like maybe i did too much you know like because um, workouts should scaffold kind of like your mileage should you know like 10 percent rule so when we think about increasing 10 percent of a workout mm-hmm. that may only be like one more interval than the previous one and you know i've had weeks where you, you miss a workout because life happens or whatever and then you feel like you need to force it to make up for the fitness that you didn't gain that previous week and so you might go out there and run something a little too hard and you may even feel fine the next day and like you recovered well, but then three, four days later, that's when you start to feel something flare up. And so just, I think making sure that uh, everything builds very carefully. So there's no drastic jumps in the intensity of the workout or in, um, you know, the work, the recovery days in between them, um, no jumps in mileage or long runs, that sort of thing, just making sure it's a slow kind of progressive build. And if you have a week where you, you kinda of fall off the bandwagon, you need to kinda of like start over and progress back. Like, you know, you almost want to do what you did the week before. You don't want to do anything that's a higher volume. And I know I've made that mistake. So um yeah, and I think that's where having a coach or following a plan can help, you know, help you prevent you from making those those mistakes.
0: Right. The progressive <clears throat> overload approach is super important. And I think part of the thing that can be frustrating for athletes um, even before social media, this was probably a thing because you'd have groups or whatever who would all train the same. But you know, you see people on social media. One of my friends, for example, she had a seven and a half year run streak. So she ran every single day for seven and a half years. And quite honestly, she really never did get. Injured. I mean, I think she had like a little flare up here and there But I never ever saw her weekly mileage drop below like 30 miles per week So that's pretty like impressive, right? If you look at that just at a base level the fact that someone's not getting injured for seven and a half years Able to run pretty much every day on that sort of thing. There are people out there that have genetics that are more tolerant of doing more than maybe the average person, right? So that's something that we really need to address first before we like take a deep dive. Cause you might be looking at these people on social media, even people look at my training probably and they're like, how does she not get injured? Um, I do think a lot of it, it boils down to like the genetic portion of like your connective tissues, your bone density, that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that... You know, like I said, it was genetic, some of it's nutrition, that sort of thing. And I recently read a book that talked about like the connective tissue and that sort of thing and how there is that genetic component at play. So, if you're someone that's chronically getting injured, um, that sort of thing, it could be an interesting book for you because it kind of has things that you should be incorporating into your diet in order to kind of avoid those things. And that book was called Deep Nutrition. Um, but it's really interesting because like you were saying, you're someone who has had a lot of flare ups in the past, even if you're trained correctly and all those things. And it's like, I've done maybe some things in my past where people would say you should have gotten injured and I didn't. So it can be really hard to not play that comparison game. I think when a lot of people are sharing their, their runs on Strava social media, I think there's someone local in the twin cities who, gosh, I don't know. I feel like he did like three marathons. All like sub 255 and within like a three-month time span, and then like the next week you still run like 50 miles a week. It's like sometimes people can just get away mm-hmm. with more um banging of their body. Like they just they hold up no matter like what is happening. Um, and maybe that's not like the smartest way to train, right? Like maybe sometimes it's like because you can get away with doing these things, you don't necessarily be able to reach your potential in the sport because you're you're too busy like and like pushing the boundaries and seeing what you're um, physically capable of doing. But there are those people that are just more susceptible to injuries. And so I think when you know that you're someone who maybe has that more susceptibility, um, to start really looking and fine tuning, like what are some of the common causes? So like you were saying, doing too much too soon. So that could be doing too much of a workout too soon. That could be doing too much mileage too soon. So we have to have workouts that are progressive. Um, and not starting too hard. So a baseline workout, if you're starting back, I wouldn't start workouts for a solid month. And then when you do, the first workout you do would be like strides, right? So you're doing like four by 20 seconds with a full two to three minute, um, like standing recovery between. And doing these strides at like 5K effort, maybe 10K half marathon effort the first time, right? We're not gonna go all out. We're not sprinting these. It's just an up tempo um doing that for like a week or two then maybe introducing like a shorter fart lick or a progression run something like that Um, But it's like allowing your body time to adapt to that stimuli and you might need to wait like two weeks before you introduce the next stimuli. Because what I do see happen a lot is people will be like, okay, I was injured, I'm gonna come back from this injury and it's like, boom, they increase the mileage, boom, they increase the long run, boom, they're adding in workups. And it's like, of course, you're gonna have this repetitive cycle. You really need to focus on one thing at a time. So maybe you're just gonna do easy runs for a solid month, um, building back like every other day. And then the next month, you're gonna try two back-to-back days of running um maybe the next month that's when you start introducing strides and maybe doing a short fartlek so it takes several months to build back and so i think sometimes people have this elusive idea that you can build back from an injury and just like boom be in marathon shape in like four months and that might be the case if you're one of these genetic superstar freaks right but if you're someone who's injury prone it's like we really want to be careful and we want to like tread lightly um because it's almost like you're walking on eggshells all the time you want to make sure you're having that strong foundation in order to not get injured some other things that may be culprits are not enough rest in between workouts right so as i have gotten maybe a little bit older or maybe just more mature in the sport i realized that i need at least three days of recovery in between a workout typically unless it's a a shorter workout um so talk to me a little bit about like the days in between workouts and do you think that sometimes people aren't fully recovering in between and that can be a culprit
1: yeah i mean definitely um you know the day after a workout should be like a complete recovery run or maybe even a rest day and so that way your body's getting a chance to um, kind of repair the damage that's been done and then you know your next run after that should be really easy next run after that probably another easy run maybe a run with strides kind of depending on what your your schedule looks like and so you may be a person you know if you're coming back from injury we're not going to probably do two workouts in a week for for a while and so you want to make sure your body can adjust Um, and you know that This person here, I would say looking at the workout that you did, like, for example, if you came back from injury and you did something that was more speed oriented right away, um, and then the injury kind of flared up again, that could be a sign that it was just too fast. And so maybe you want to approach the workout differently next time, do something a little bit slower, more, maybe more at like marathon effort, and then you can kind of see like, how does your body adapt to that and react to that? And so that's kind of how I progress back is I'll always start at like marathon pace effort, and I'll slowly increase... Um, you know, because you got to be careful as you're increasing duration and intensity at the same time, you know, so you yeah. kind of have to find that balance and figure out like what works for you, what can your muscles handle? And, um, you know, we're all so uniquely different in terms of our physiology and our muscle fiber composition. And so, you know, I've done, you know, I've, I've heard um, different research that's d- been done on athletes um, doing the same, you know, amount of training, the exact same training block, but, because they all have different like uh, muscle makeups, mm-hmm. they all kind of reacted differently to uh, the adaptations, um, the fitness gains, that sort of thing. And so it's really important to not try to do something that you saw someone else do, you yes. know? Because it's going to be different for you.
0: No, that's a really good point. Just going back to like, we're all genetically made up differently. So even if you have the same, all the same PRs, you're in the same fitness mm-hmm. level as someone else, doesn't mean you're going to be able to train like they are. because your body is, is built differently and you're just you have to train like an individual and not just based on your your fitness level, right? So fitness does come into play in terms of calculating your paces, but your mileage is gonna be a little bit different. Um, maybe all of all of the little things. But another thing that's really important to note as you're coming back from an injury and we're talking about like doing workouts and stuff like that, I just think it's really important to lay a strong foundation. And so you don't really need to do workouts. And I think that's something that's really important to address in general. I mean, we talk about workouts. We talk about 80, 20. um, But what about like 100% easy running, right? So Mm -hmm. when I came back from pregnancy both times, it's like I didn't do workouts for a while, right? Um, It was just about running easy miles, getting used to running easy miles and back-to-back days. And running in and of itself is a massive stress. So even when we're saying like – Ooh, easy running. Um, if you're building back mileage or if you're trying to get back to running, you know, four days a week, five days a week, whatever, that in and of itself is a stress. So we don't need to be like adding workouts on top of that. So what do you have to say to someone who, who's coming back and they're just having a hard time with really doing easy runs and they just want to like, you know, do a bunch of workouts or even just do one workout?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I've come back, you know, from injuries and not done any workouts for a long time and felt more fit than when i try to rush it and so it's really about kind of looking at how much time did you take off um you know do you have any races scheduled that sort of thing but i would i would be very patient with the workouts like starting maybe you just do strides or maybe you figure out a way to make your easy run a little bit more like um you know mentally challenging for you so like you run progressive splits or something like that or you go on rolling hills you just figure out a way to not like overstress your body give you kind of that that variation that you're looking for because i know sometimes it can be mundane to go out and run the easy pace in the same route and all of that so figuring out ways to kind of change it up running with people running in trails that sort of thing can help Um, and like you said just really just running easy in those first few workouts back should be kind of slow progress progression runs some strides and that's really all you need for a while
0: Right, building back and just focusing that the easy runs do a lot and knowing that it is a stress on your body. So, if you're coming back from an injury, I would say with every run, just remember that this is a stress day and you don't need to add extra stress on top of it. So, no need to like rush back into workouts. I always think that workouts are there for when, um, you know, like running your current weekly mileage or like your sweet spot mileage is, is not enough and you feel like you have extra energy and stuff like that but if you're someone who's coming back from an injury chances are as you're building back mileage um it is gonna leave you a little bit sore it is gonna leave you um kind of walking that edge so you just want to make sure you're not overdoing it because as soon as we kind of overdo it and we're back to square one it's like you almost have to start over so you have to tread gently, and I think the easy mileage is the easiest way that you can build your aerobic base back without um, having that overstress on your, your joints and your um, connective tissues and stuff like that. Um, another culprit – there are like three more that could be causing injuries um, and these are ones that maybe affect everyone right so it's going to be your lack of strength training so that can be huge especially as we age as runners so maybe when you were younger you were in your 20s or even your 30s 40s you could get away with not doing a lot of strength training um, and or maybe it's pre-pregnancy pre-kids like you never strength train and then you're trying to come back postpartum and it's just it's just not working right or you just had an injury and you're trying to come back from it and things just are not working the same way. So it's really important to incorporate these strength training things. So even if you're someone who thinks you're invincible or you've never done it in the past, doesn't mean that you can't benefit from it in the future. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about strength training, how to get started, and is there anything that you've done when you come back from injuries, like working with physical therapists to start incorporating more specific strength into your regimen?
1: Yeah, and I can relate totally to um, you know, being young and being able to whip around the track and, you know, um, you know, just not having to worry so much about the injuries because I was stronger then and maybe back in college we were getting more like, um, more calisthenics and more mm-hmm. plyometrics added into practices and that sort of thing. But now that I'm older and I've kind of gone through different phases of, you know, kind of being lax with strength training, yeah, I definitely see the decline and, like, the importance for doing it, especially if you're going to try to get quality sessions in because your body's not going to be able – be able to hold up and be as strong and so um, anytime i'm coming back from an injury uh, the number one focus is strength training and then running kind of folds around that yes. so you slowly start to build back in the runs um, through the progressive overload but you're also paying close attention to kind of treating the area and any surrounding areas that maybe could cause the issue so for me i've always had kind of calf issues and that kind of stems from just weaker glutes and hamstrings and uh, just making sure that I'm doing a lot of like single leg exercises. I'm focusing on hips and core and glute um, firing, that sort of thing. And so I will do a series of exercises to help help with that while I am building back with running. And that typically helps me feel stronger. I would get the same sort of, I guess, um, feeling than I would if I was just doing like a running workout. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. doing that structured strength, it makes me feel like I got something out of it. And like I'm getting stronger. And so I don't need to go out and push it on the run just an easy run with the strength kind of gives me that same that same amount um so yeah i think you know the strength strength is huge and then obviously um the nutrition and the sleep that play play a role in that as well
0: yeah strength training you know two three times a week even if you're not running is is really important right i think like every person should be strength training resistance training is huge there's so many Scientific benefits out there that have been you know proven that hey this really helps especially as you age because I think like for every I don't even know what the study is, but you do lose muscle mass as you age And so it's really important even just from like a preservation standpoint if you can just like preserve your muscle mass You're gonna be in in much better shape Um, but also as you age like your neuromuscular connections they can start to decline and I know When I started working a desk job, um, one of the biggest culprits that would happen is that your glutes, um, they're just not used to firing, right? So you sit at a desk for 10 hours, eight hours a day, every day for several years, um, your glutes start to just turn off, right? And so I've been in physical therapy many times for various like hip or quad or hamstring injuries and it's like you really have to be training your glutes to fire constantly and finally, you know four years ago I was just like I'm, I'm kind of done with um, constantly having to go in and out of PT constantly having to be reminded by these um, people who are helping me to to work on the glutes with the bands and all this stuff so I said I'm done with that I'm just gonna start strength training regularly I'm going to you know go to the gym lift heavy um, activate my glutes and, and try to just get stronger and ever since I made that transition into lifting um, pretty heavy weights two to three times a week Um, I I just really have not been injured at all. Um, So I think having that component is is super important because there are imbalances that will start to occur, especially as we get older. And it's not really all the time age-related, right? So in your 20s, you don't really lose a lot of muscle mass. Sometimes it's that lifestyle, right? So if you're sitting at a desk, um, and you're not using the muscles, right? It's, you, you either use it or you lose it, right? So you might look at like a little two year old, three year old walking around. They, they have so much flexibility. They have so much strength. Um, they're able to like sit in the squatting position for, for hours on end. Um, as adults, we lose that because we sit um, in chairs all day. We don't sit there in, you know, like the yogi squat position for hours playing with toys. Um, and it's something that you, you can preserve as you get older and there are benefits to maintaining that mobility and that flexibility and the strength as you get older. So it's not always about that cardiovascular strength. Sometimes it's about that whole body, um, staying, staying healthy from a whole body perspective. And running is extremely repetitive. It's the same motion going forward, you know, arms and legs over and over and over again. It's very um, monotonous. And when you get into strength training, you start to move in the lateral plane and you start working um, and making sure that you're activating all of the other muscles. And that's just really important um, as a well-rounded athlete to make sure that you're working other muscles besides just, you know, that same um, redundant uh, back and forth running motion. So do you have any other um, additional thing? I know you mentioned sleep and nutrition playing a role. So how does that play a role and what is your recommendation there?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, as you increase mileage, intensity, all of that, you're your body's going to obviously need more, you know, need more fuel. It's gonna need more rest, all of those sorts of things to repair. And so if you've kind of been laxing on those things or doing even worse, going through a bad stretch, then that can have a huge negative impact on your adaptation for these workouts. And so it's really important that, you know, as you increase these these certain areas, that you're also increasing other areas that are gonna play a, a huge role and trying to decrease your stress as a whole, knowing that your body's getting more stress running related, that sort of thing. And then obviously mm-hmm. getting getting more sleep than what you're used to getting. So, you know, eight plus hours and then adequate amount, adequate amounts of hydration and nutrition.
0: Right, and there is definitely like a time and place to push it, right? So if you are going through like a job transition or you just moved or, you know, you have a new, new kid in the family, that sort of thing. It's like, is that really the ideal time to be trying to also mm-hmm. reach your physical limits, right? So sometimes it, there's better seasons of life to train for maybe a marathon or ultra marathon. Um, then, then other times, I feel like, did we skip the one about feeling pressure to run a marathon being considered a real runner?
1: Uh, we did. Yeah.
0: Okay. So now, yeah. So now that we're kind of on this, it's like you have that pressure, um, you kind of feel like, Hey, you know, it's all or nothing. Sometimes athletes will think this black or white thinking, whereas they're like, okay, I have to do all the things all at once. Right. And so sometimes it's just that taking that step back. If you've been injured for a while and you, you just want to break out of that cycle, Sometimes it's asking yourself, hey, like maybe I've been trying to do too much. Um, And like you said, evaluating the stress in your life and trying to figure out um, if there are adjustments that can and should be um, had. So that kind of goes back to the question that we skipped over. So this was supposed to be the fourth question, but this will be our final question. It was um, the feeling of the pressure to run a marathon to be considered a real runner. So this is something that I think a lot of runners experience is, you know, you get, you go to work, people find out you're a runner or you meet people at a party, they find out you're a runner and they, then the next question is, Oh, have you ran a marathon? Right? So that's kind of the, the follow up, and usually they want to hear yes. And if you say no, um, it's kind of that like weird, awkward pause where people are like, Oh, well, you said you're into running and, and it can just be like a weird dialogue after that. Um, I know that because <laughs> I, I've had that conversation before I started, um, running marathons people would always ask me that I tell tell no they would be confused um, I was even told I thought you said you were a runner um, Or no, you're not a runner like just weird just weird things that people who are not runners would say in response to that And so I felt very much the need like this person to run a marathon um, And I think it's really important to evaluate like why we're setting goals and and just kind of decoding this question so Jason have you ever felt this pressure or Um, what do you think the culture is out there
1: yeah you know i i definitely think it's different for people that start running later in life as adults like Mm -hmm. they if they're on social media and everything they may feel the pressure to kind of move up to that distance quicker Um, someone like me kind of grew up running shorter distances and then once i got out of college you know i I started to realize like i guess the next step would be to move up in distance right like try a half marathon then a marathon and so I guess there kind of was that pressure knowing like it it gets really difficult to maintain the same level of fitness in the shorter races, you know, without the structure of the team and the coach and the track. So, um, that was kind of the next step is to explore like how your body responds to the longer distances and that challenge. And so... Um, for other adult runners, I feel like that progression might happen faster, right? Like if they do a 5k or something, then what happens next? Like, instead of trying to get faster, they might jump up in distance to 10k and then try a half marathon and so on. And so I think, you know, for non-runners, when it comes up in conversation, they're going to ask, you know, I've talked to so many non-runners before who call 5k's marathons, right? They think that every race is called a marathon. They just don't know the difference in the distances. And so, uh, but I do think it's normal for us to of just want to know what it's like to yeah. experience that next uh challenge and um you know i think the obviously the more experience you can get in the shorter races it's going to help you um so the more patient you can stay the better but if that becomes your next um, primary focus is just to experience it then obviously you can you know work towards that and it comes with sort of a trade-off like we're not going to be hammering workouts at the same time you're increasing mileage and that sort of thing um so you got to be very very aware of like how to kind of connect the dots and get to that step without pushing it too hard
0: yeah that's a really interesting point and just bringing it up from your perspective is you were involved in track and cross country throughout middle school high school college so for you you pretty much always identified as a runner you probably weren't like too insecure about that because people all your life had been like yeah you're a runner you're a runner that's like what you were and like your coaches said that and everything and they never made you feel like you have to do a marathon right it was always like no this is just what i am like i am a runner so you probably didn't feel as much pressure to have to like go run this marathon because people knew you for being a runner that's what you did your whole life um and that was just maybe a natural progression that you ended up having but i think for people like you said who started as adults whereas i'm someone who started when i was um 19 20 years old I just, I didn't really identify as a runner. Even if I did a, a couple 5Ks or a half, I just, it was hard for me to really like label myself as that because I didn't really have anything to like show for it, I felt like. Um, cause just running apparently wasn't enough because that would be the question everyone always asked me. And I'm sure when you right. introduce yourself to people and you said, oh yeah, I'm a runner. And then they would probably say something like, oh, did you run in college? And, and you could be right. like, yeah, I ran in college and high school and stuff. And I couldn't say that. So it's like, we always want to have the thing that we identify with. And I think that's like a natural human thing is people love labels. They love to identify with groups and they want to be accepted. And so that's a really real thing. And I think really diving deep into that. Um, is important. So you want to do races that are exciting to you, right? So if you just aren't excited to do a marathon or you just don't really like see the point, then then don't do it right. You don't need to do it to be considered a real runner. But I do think the allure of the marathon is very strong. And many people think that the marathon, the 26.2 is like that end all be all event. Um, and I remember we were going to hire, uh, we were, you know, talking about interviewing your old cross country and track coach and you know talking to him and just explaining like hey actually a lot of who we work with are marathoners because he he wasn't really into marathon training he wanted to maybe work more so with like people who wanted to run a fast mile or a fast 800 and we explained to him like No, like, no one does that. Like, adults don't do that. And he was confused. And he's like, oh, are people still into the marathon? (laughs) Because I think he thought that was, like, an 80s thing or something, right? Um, But in reality, no, that's, like, a thing that's definitely still prevalent. And there are other distances to train for right but that is really a big hot commodity is like the marathon right so many people want to run Chicago New York Boston all the marathons and it's awesome and I love marathons I've done 20 marathons myself but I do think there is that like it's just like such a hot event which is interesting because it's not the longest event so you might think oh you know it's it's the one that's really popular because it's the longest event and it's like no, it's definitely not, right? Like there's ultra marathons. So what I find really interesting is why are ultra marathons not viewed as like the allure? Or why is there not as much pull to that? I think it's like, maybe that's a line in the sand where anything over 26.2 is a little crazy. Um, You know, like there's a 50K, you can do 50 miler, you can do six hour timed event, you can do 12 hour timed event, you can do a hundred miler, right? There's even more than a hundred. There's like bad water. And that's what I think is really interesting is most, I would say most runners, Most people know what a marathon is, right? Like a lay person on the street, you'd ask, what's a marathon? They know what it is. They're at least familiar. But if you ask, like, what's an ultra marathon? People don't really know. And they definitely, I even think a lot of runners don't know that people run 100 miles in one sitting. So why do you think that is?
1: Um, (laughs) I mean, just awareness, right? Like you don't see it as much, especially on social media. There aren't as many of those race opportunities typically. And when you're doing your searches for races... You know, a lot of times you just don't see them come up unless you mm-hmm. select the box or whatever. You know, there's several sites that you can go on these days to find races. But, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of 5K, 10K, half fulls. So that's kind of right. what you see. The, the ultras are a little bit more like, I guess, under the radar. Um, <laughs> I used to think before I was more aware, I used to think an ultra marathon was double the distance of a marathon. Right. Like, to me, that's kind of what made sense in my brain. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, some adults, they might be surprised to hear that people do that. And especially to hear like, that it's not just a small uh, percentage of people. Right. Like there's there's like it's hard to get into some of these like ultra yep. races. Like you, you you have to like run a certain time. You have to qualify. You have to be selected. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that do that. And yeah, I just think the word marathon it just brings people. Um, it just it comes with like this level of like prestigeness, Like oh, you know, if I achieve this, then I kind of like I'm you know not only am I a real runner, but I was able to accomplish something that most people can't even fathom doing and so i'm satisfied with doing just one or whatever and then obviously when you do one you sometimes wanna you think you can do better and so there is a lot of room to grow i think in that event um but comes with a lot of sacrifice a lot of hard work and uh, consistent training
0: yeah it's really important to know that you should be doing it for you. Right. So when we go back to that ultra marathon example, the reason I bring that up is because not a lot of people do them. And I do think that if marathons were all because people want to see like how far they could go, I think realistically more people would be doing ultra marathons because they would be doing them because they would want to, you know, see how far they want to go. But I do think the reason more people stick with marathon distance is it's what's known. It's what's accepted. Right. And so if you are feeling like you need to like fit into a box just just realize that you don't have to to do that to you know fit into anyone's definition because sometimes like the definition of what something is 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 all in our head right it's mm-hmm. what we make of it um, maybe people aren't really judging you but they just don't really know what else to say right so if, right. You, if you don't really know much about <laughs> running and you're talking to someone and, and they just are asking a question like Oh, like have you done a marathon that might be the only question that they know to ask I mean they don't really know like what else can I ask you or how to continue the conversation right so sometimes in our heads we're like chalking it up to like oh you know like they don't think I'm a real runner or something but it's like they're just not necessarily informed um, and another thing to remember is not everyone does do marathons so while it may seem like everyone on social media Strava everything like that they do marathons, or they're training for marathons. Um, it's definitely not the case. So, how how many people do you think uh, are doing marathons versus not? And what are some other goals that you can set besides the marathon? So, if this person's feeling really pressured to run a marathon, what do you think they should be doing, um, you know, instead to kind of keep their mind off of that?
1: Oh man, yeah, I don't I don't know the numbers as far as what percentage do marathons, but I do know that you know you can get away with doing a lot more races frequently if you're doing the shorter races. Mm -hmm. And so there's more opportunities there. I think to grow as a runner because you can, you can learn about racing experience. You can try to improve more frequently if you're doing like a 5k or a one mile or, you know, 10k. And I think that with the marathon, a lot of times you're forced to wait a few months at least before the next one and put in a training block and make sure you get your long runs in. And so I think it can be, yeah, it can definitely be difficult. Right. And, um, I think if you're fe- if you're someone that's feeling kind of like pressure, like you need to take that next step, um, just kind of go back to reminding what Victoria said. Like a lot of times in conversation, people ask because they maybe just don't know what else to right. say. Um, but you can share about your experiences doing certain races. Maybe you talk about the races that you've done, and not so much focus on the distance, but like maybe where they took place. So maybe you travel and you do scenic races, um, or you know your 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 goal is to do this many five Ks in a certain um certain period. Or, you know, I know a lot of states they have like summer race series and that can be a good motivator for you. You get a little bit of experience running maybe a mile of five K, ten K and a half. Um or you set a time goal in a shorter race Mm. so that you're able to kind of focus on that. I mean there's so many other things you could potentially focus on. Um and then just know like you know, for a lot of runners, I think a marathon is is like a long-term goal in the back of their mind. Um, but if you're more patient and you don't rush it, I think you're setting yourself up to maybe have a better experience um, and to stay healthier.
0: Right. I always think you should wait until you actually want to do the race in order to do it because you really have to have that, like, passion and drive there. So if someone, like, came up to me and said, Victoria, you need to train for, like, this random event and do this. Um, It's not the same as, like, you coming up with that intrinsically. Um, So setting your own goals that excite you, right? And I do think having, like, other talking points. So if someone does ask you, oh, like, what marathon are you training for? You can really, like, direct them um, to what you are training for, right? So maybe you're training for, like, a sub-eight-minute mile or something. You can, like, tell them um, that this is what you're training for, that sort of thing. And, like, having, having that talking point or just having that goal that you can share with other people can can help people kind of understand where you're coming from or like what you're training for Um, because I think spreading awareness that there are other goals besides a marathon can be really cool because maybe you might inspire that person to run because maybe that person has no desire to ever run a marathon they think it's crazy so they're just like asking you but then when you share like actually no I'm training to run under eight minute pace for a 5k, they would say, well, that's something I could get excited about, you know, or maybe they start to realize like, oh, there's more to the sport than just these marathons. Um, and that can get maybe more people excited, more people into the sport, that sort of thing. So you never really know who you're inspiring. And there might be other people that feel exactly like you do. So maybe you're someone who has an Instagram account, you share your training, um, and maybe you just don't really know what to write. But if you start sharing like, Hey, actually I'm training for a 5k, I'm training for a one mile. You might be surprised like how many other people are like, oh, I feel exactly the same way as you do. Um, It's really cool to like watch you train or whatever. But yeah, just remembering that there's more events to train for than the marathon, and just being confident in what you are training for, and that sort of thing is huge. And we also are gonna be having a program later this fall coming out called Unleash the Speed, and it gives you a chance to really focus on the shorter distances, like the one mile 5K, that sort of thing, so look for that on our website later this fall in October and November. We're gonna have an awesome program. We do this every winter. Um, And it's just something that's really exciting because you can kind of shift focuses from the marathon or half marathon into those shorter distance events. And if you are looking for something before that and you wanna focus on speed or maybe you want help with your marathon or whatever it may be, we're always here with a free seven day trial. So if that's something you're interested in, you can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com. And we can get you set up with a free 7-day trial and a run consultation. So again, that's www.runforprs.com. So thanks for tuning in.